Um, well, let me just say I'm going to introduce our speaker for the morning. Uh, Jonathan Mast uh, was on staff here uh, for, for a number of years and has been gone not quite a year, but uh, was up here in the area. His daughter went to, uh, to Lake Ann Camp and, and he's now ministering down in West Virginia. And he, he called me up and said, hey, if you, know, if you have a need for, for some pulpit supply, let me know. And it's like, yeah, that'd be awesome for, to have him come. And so come on up, Jonathan. He's going to be opening God's word to us this morning. And, uh, and as he does that, I'm just going to ask, I'm just going to lead in a word of prayer and just ask God to use our time. So let's, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your, your love for us, your care for us. Lord, for the way that, that you have, um, you, you've, you've revealed yourself to us in Christ. And even as we just have, have remembered uh, in, in communion, the Lord's Supper, of the sacrifice of Jesus and what that means to us and what he has done for us. Father, thank you for just the opportunity we have to spend some time in your word. Thank you for being here with us. And we pray, Father, take your word, use it to accomplish your purposes, allow your spirit to have freedom, to, to speak to us. And, and I pray, Father, that, that you would just draw us closer to you as a result of our time this morning. Thank you for Jonathan and for his ministry and pray your blessing upon that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Well, hey, good to see everyone this morning, and uh, can I just say uh, thank you for having us. Um, we, uh, as, as you heard from PR, um, have had Zoe over at Lake Ann Camp uh, this past week, and uh, it was her first week of camp ever, and uh, she had an awesome time. If you, if you have kids and, uh, and are, are interested in, camp, in that camp ministry, it's a great ministry to support um, her life was uh, just just greatly impacted by her time there. So, um, but we are actually uh, up here visiting family. We actually were able to uh, spend some time with uh, uh, some of our small group friends and uh, new friends up uh, up in the UP this past week while Zoe was at camp. And guess what? We're headed all the way back up there again today. We're crossing the bridge and making that drive uh, just north of Iron Mountain um, to see my family. So. So we're, we're uh, just so happy to be in the area. Um, we, we took in the, uh, the Blue Angels yesterday. How many of you guys took in the Blue Angels? Yeah, wasn't that awesome? Wow. Um, over our time here, I don't think we had the Blue Angels. Um, and uh, and so, so it was our first time actually being able to see them. So that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, but uh, I'm sure you're probably wondering um, an update just on how our family is doing and in uh, our ministry up uh, down there in West Virginia. So, so I want to just, uh, I brought a few pictures along um, just so you can, you can see our growing family. Um, the, the first one is, is just a picture of, of us uh, at, at our new house there in West Virginia and um, our dog Allie. Uh, as you can see, our kids are growing like weeds. Um, Jesse, uh, Zoe, Jesse, Addie, and Izzy. Um, are our four kids, and, uh, and they, they love their time here as a part of Coastal Kids. Um, and then the next picture is, uh, we want to just thank you guys for praying for us um, in our ministry there in West Virginia. Um, it was such a blessing to be able to leave from, from this church and to know that we had a church family that was supportive and uh, behind just seeing uh, lives transformed there in a place that not a lot of people would want to go to. Can I just tell you that? Um, we went back to our, our former church because they were in a time of crisis. Kind of like what you guys are going through right now. Kind of a time of really discouragement. Time where they didn't know what the future was going to be. And so we, we said, hey, we'll come back and we'll help. And uh, we were able to launch under a new name 
Valley Church on Easter Sunday of 2022. And uh, that was a huge, huge shot in the arm to, the, to our ministry. Uh, there's been a lot of baptisms, a lot of life change, um, and, and we're looking, looking forward to what God has. So we have a great team. You can go to the other, other couple pictures there. We've got a great team of people that we're working with there. Um, and uh, we love our valley. And uh, I want to just encourage you, please pray for us. Pray for us as we, as we endeavor to reach the, the Ohio Valley for Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, the next picture is just, just uh, one of a worship night that we had. Um, and uh, and uh, we just got a lot of, lot of people that love, love Jesus and are, are just on fire to see the valley change for, for uh, Jesus Christ. And uh, hope and healing come to that valley. So please continue to pray for us. If you're ever in West Virginia... Can I just tell you, come and visit us. We are an hour south of Wheeling, and, um, and uh, we would love to have you, even if you're just coming through. We've got a large home that, uh, that can house you, and, um, or if you're interested in uh, partnering with us in ministry. Um, the, uh, the, the work is plentiful down there. So thank you for your prayers. Um, can I just tell you, if you come to West Virginia, I love Michigan State Parks, but they don't beat... West Virginia State Parks, okay? So the way I wanted to open my message actually was by telling you a little story about an experience that we had. Um, we went to one of our favorite West Virginia State Parks, and it is called Seneca Rocks, and I have a picture of it here. Seneca Rocks is a 900-foot um, razorback ridge that, uh, that, is, that is there on the uh, eastern panhandle, West Virginia. It, anybody, has anybody been there from here? No, not quite. Okay, if you're taking a vacation, it's a drive, but it's worth it, okay? Precious and I, we, we went to Seneca Rocks in uh, 2017, and uh, we took a date and uh, spent, spent the night over there and hiked all the way up to the top. And as we got to the top, we walked out on the observation deck that they had. Um, there's there's a, just an observation deck that, that overlooks the, uh, the valley below. And uh, we took in the beautiful view. Um, then what we did is we started to make our way up to the summit. We, we figured, well, of course, we're not going to go to the top of Seneca Rocks without getting to the tippy top, right? And walking on that jagged jagged edge of, of the cliffs there, right? Well, as we came to the entrance to where you would, you would go to, to the summit and walk along, it's only about 10 foot wide and in places 5 foot, you know, um, we saw this sign. I'll, I'll bring it up. You can see it. You can see a big stop. <laughs> and I don't know if you can read it out there, but it says this, you alone are responsible for your safety. You alone are responsible for your safety. We know it is, is, it is very tempting to proceed past this point, but without proper climbing equipment, you are putting yourself and your family and friends at risk. Hikers enjoy the very same view from the safety of the observation platform. Now, at that point, I knew, okay, that is not true. <laughs> there is no way in the world that you enjoy the same view from the observation platform. It goes on to say, since 1971, 15 people have died at Seneca Rocks from falls. It's not worth 
the risk. And then in small writing, under there, you can't see it. Someone, someone wrote in pen, you have nothing to live for. <laughs> <laughs> now, you do have something to live for. But, man, I am all about adventure. And my wife is, she's adventurous, but not in the same way. And so I can, I can you know, let you guess what happened. Basically, I said, without even giving a second thought to it, I'm going. <laughs> Just make sure they change the sign. <laughs> uh, well, can I tell you, I love people's famous last words. And thankfully, those were not my famous last words, were they? But often people's last words are ones that are very memorable, ones that are important, ones that uh, really tell a story of what, what is valuable and what to hold on to. And uh, as we get to God's word today, what I want to do is I want to have us open up to the book of Joshua. It's uh, Joshua chapter 24 is where we're going. And, uh, and I actually led our, our church through uh, teaching through this whole book and um, just a few weeks ago, also preached this message for them because it was something that, that uh, really was, was impactful on how we go about doing ministry, um, go about leading our lives forward. We get to Joshua chapter 24, and what we find is that these are the famous last words of Joshua, Joshua, their, their leader. Now, if you've been following, if you, if you know the book of Joshua, what, what you'll see is that um, for, for 23 chapters, Joshua has been leading these people through, through a whole lot of difficulty. He's been faithfully leading them forward to take possession of the promised land. He's living by faith. He's living in obedience to God. He's seen walls crumble, the walls of Jericho. He's seen the waters part. He's seen a harlot saved. He's seen Achan sin. You remember this? A nation deceived and many, many battles won. And as we come to the end of his life, we see that what was more important than conquering the land was what God wanted to do in Joshua's life and in the lives of the people there. See, what God wanted to do in them was more important than what God wanted to do through them. What God wanted to do in them was more important than what God wanted to do through them. And so as we get to Joshua's final address here in Joshua chapter 24, if you're there with me, you'll see that these are his famous last words. Words that he wanted to impart to these people that they would carry on the faith. That they would continue to be obedient to God in spite of the difficulty that they were going to face in the days and months and years ahead. And so if you're with me, Joshua chapter 24, we're going to start in verse 1, okay? And uh, we're going to cover most of this chapter, so just read along with me. I'm using the ESV version. Um, if you have a phone, you can flip over to that version. Um, but uh, follow along with me in verse, verse 1. It says this, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. And summoned the elders and the heads and the judges and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. Oh, here in verse 1, we see that uh, he gathered them to a place called Shechem. And Shechem is significant. If you were just kind of reading through and glancing through the scripture, you'd think, oh, okay, just skip over it. 
But I'm reminded that the places that we're tempted to skip are actually the places where God speaks. Okay, and that, that's key to when you're studying the Bible, don't skip things like genealogies or things, things that you may consider to be boring. Actually, these are places where God speaks. And here, Shechem is significant. The reason why Shechem is significant is because this was a place that was, was rich in history for the nation of Israel. See, this was the place that Abraham first had entered almost a thousand years before into the promised land. And we read about Abraham, the father of their nation, in Genesis chapter 12. And here's what it says. Don't, don't bother turning there. I'll just read it for you. It'll be up on the screen. It says this, that Abram, he passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moriah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring... I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. You realize what we're seeing right at this moment? We're seeing that a thousand years after God made this promise to Abram, that God is showing himself to be faithful to his promises. The promise that God had given to Abraham was to, the, to your offspring, I will give this land. And now, a thousand years later, his offspring have now been given this land. God is faithful to his promises. As Joshua uh, 24 verse 1 goes on, it says that, that he summoned the elders and the heads and the judges and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Now, this is, this is a large nation. Some, some have, have estimated that this is probably 2 million people that were there that had crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land. And Joshua couldn't talk to the whole nation. And so what he does is he, he gathers the elders, he gathers the, the leaders, he gathers the, the people that were influential, the judges, the officers. And he doesn't just talk to them. He presents them to God. He calls them to submit themselves to the Lord. And, and can I just tell you, there is a great leadership principle right there for us in the church. That as, as our elders and as our leaders submit themselves to God, they will then lead the church well. And this is a critical moment as a church for our elders and for you if you're in positions of leadership. That you not, not just submit to people, you submit yourself to God. And there were critical moments. Submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to the Lord. And that's what they did. They presented themselves to God. And Joshua then, in verse 2, we see it says, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, we don't often put Joshua as a, as a you know, call him a prophet. But here he is speaking as an inspired messenger of God, isn't he? He speaks the words, the very words of God. And here are his famous last words. Not his words personally, but God's words spoken through him. Here's what he said. Verse 2. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor. And they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river... And led him through the land of Canaan 
and made his offspring many. And I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. If you're taking notes, basically what Joshua is telling them in these, in these first few verses is this. God has been faithful. And he's going to make an argument here. I'm going to sum it up in one sentence. I'm going to start with the word because. Because God has been faithful in the, number one, he's talking about the past. And he's going to lead to, a, to an ultimate conclusion here at the end of this text. Because God has been faithful in the past, it's going to lead then to a response. And I, I hope this response is, is impactful in how we obey our God as well. He's talking about the past. He spoke specifically about their great-great-great-great-grandfather, Abraham, and his father, Terah. And what he, what he showed these people is this. Abraham grew up in a pagan, idolatrous home. That's what he's teaching them. Actually, ancient legends say that Abraham's father, Terah, was an idol maker. Do you know that? Abraham, the father of, of the nation, the man that God chose to, 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 to bring about the lineage of Jesus Christ, his father made idols for a living. And Abraham actually grew up in the city of Ur, which is also known for its worship of the moon as a god. And so, so, so Joshua is telling these people, your past, your heritage is as a people who were not God's people. You were not always God's people. You need to remember this. And you, you may actually yourselves come from the same kind of background. You may say, well, I, I didn't grow up in a family where my parents were believers. I was not raised in church. You may be a first-generation Christian right now. Um, you, you may be in, in, a, in a place where, where uh, the, the only use of God's name was as a curse word. That may have been your family. Maybe that's still your family, and you feel like kind of that outlier. You feel like, man, my, my people are not God's People, Maybe you're here, and I would guess some of you are here, and you're still even on the fence. Like, I, I don't know if I'm one of God's people. I don't know if he is my God. I, 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 I still have a lot of questions. You may be a little critical. Maybe you don't believe. And can I just tell you, I'm glad you're here, because East Bay Calvary is a place that you can come with your questions and we've got elders, and we've got staff, and, and, and you as members that would love to surround you and answer questions and walk with you. We're glad that you're here. Because here's the deal. He's saying to all these people that think, oh, we're God's people. You weren't always God's people. And that's you and I. We weren't always God's people. See, what, what our sin does is that it has separated us from a holy God And God in his grace sent his son Jesus down so that we could become his children, right? Without Jesus, we, we are not his people because God in his grace, he reached down to us. We can be called his children. He came and he loved the sinner. It says in scripture that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, didn't he? Yeah. That God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5, verse 8. 
you were not always God's people. Remember that. God showed his faithful love to them. He showed his faithful love to you while you were still sinners. And that's the message of the gospel. God has been faithful in the past. That's the number one. As we, as we go on, he goes on to explain that this, this great nation was brought about as, as, as the offspring of Abraham. And he kind of goes through the lineage. You'll see, you'll, see, you'll see that progression there. See, God had promised to Abraham that through him all the nations would be blessed, that, that his, his children would outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. The only problem was this. Abraham had no children. Sarah was barren. She, she struggled with infertility. They, they could not have children. And, and so here, here Abraham is, is 100 and Sarah is 90. And God in his miraculous, miraculous power causes Sarah to conceive, conceive. What was impossible to men was possible to God, wasn't it? She conceives Isaac. And Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob has, has 12 sons, one of them being Joseph. And then followed 400 years of slavery in Egypt. We're just tracing this, this story down. And God hears the cries that they, that they, they cried out to, to God for deliverance. And God sent a deliverer in Moses who came and, and brought them out of slavery. Keep on reading to verse 5. It says, And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Verse 6. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. You know, not only has God been faithful in the past, he has been faithful. Second, if you're taking notes, he has been faithful in the impossible. He's been faithful in the impossible. All these situations that, that he has just mentioned here have been impossible situations. But with God, nothing is impossible. I can imagine there was actually children at that time when they were delivered out of Egypt, when they crossed the Red Sea. And they looked back and they, they remembered seeing their parents in such fear as, as they came up against the banks of that, that Red Sea and, and the Egyptian army was coming after them. You know, and, and they remembered back to, to their faith and the, them calling out to God and God sending deliverance. God providing manna, God providing them with quail, God providing them water in the desert. All these things that God had been faithful for. They saw a God who could do the impossible. And I, I don't know about you, but you may be facing an impossible situation today. What I want to remind you is that, and what Joshua is saying, is our God is the God of the impossible. He was then and he still is. He's the God of the impossible. So because God has been faithful in the past and in the impossible, it's going to lead us to a response, but we've got a few more things he wants to communicate. Third thing is this. God has been faithful in my unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness is the third blank. He says in verse 20, 24, chapter 24, verse 7, And you lived in the wilderness a long time. 
There, Joshua just communicated 40 years, all in one short sentence. But you notice he, 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 he summarized and left out the reason why they wandered in the wilderness for a long time. What was the reason? Do you remember? It was because of their lack of faith. It was because they failed to trust God. They failed to, to listen, actually, to Joshua and Caleb when they said, let's go take this land. Let's, let's walk in faith. God has given us this land. Don't think about the giants. Don't think about all the battles ahead. God is with us. He is for us. And they failed. They failed to walk in faith. Now, you would think that Joshua would have said, oh, yeah, you wandered in the wilderness a long time because of your lack of faith, because you were scared, because you didn't believe. If Joshua was speaking, that's probably what, what he would say. But remember, this is not Joshua speaking. This is God speaking. And what, what, I, what I see from this statement is this. God does not see you the way you see you. God did not look at them the way they looked at themselves. See, they, when they looked at themselves, they saw failure. They saw incompetent. They saw, we've blown it. We wandered in the desert for 40 years. But here's the joy of the gospel. God did not look at them the way that they looked at themselves. Jeremiah 31, 34 we see God says this to him, them. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And that's the joy of the gospel, isn't it? When you receive it for yourselves, it says in Scripture that therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what, what failure is in their past. Because God does not look at you the way that you look at you. God looks at you through his son, Jesus. Through his righteousness. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin for us, that in him, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Psalm 103, 12, it says, For as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. If you are in Christ, it is important that you see yourself the way that God sees you. God does not look at you the way that you look at you. Can I tell you this? It is one thing to just mentally ascend to this and say, Oh yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm a child of God. I have the righteousness of Christ. He's forgiven me. My sin is gone. You know, we, we can mentally ascend to this, but still consider ourselves to be unworthy. And here's the deal. I had an experience a few weeks ago where we took our, our staff on a retreat. And, uh, you know, as, as we were in this retreat, one of the exercises was to um, go through the story of our life. Uh, basically, you know, everything in our past, good, bad, high, low, that, that led us to become who we are today. And as I remembered back on, on a lot of the things in my life, there are so many regrets, so many failures, um, things, things that I did that, that I, I, I don't think highly of myself for, sins that I struggled with, addictions that I battled against. And I, I saw, saw failure after failure after failure, 
And then what I realized is that after receiving some, some encouragement from the word of God, this statement really stuck with me. When God looks at me, he doesn't see that. If I have the righteousness of Christ, God does not look at me the way that I look at me. God does not look at you the way that you look at you. You, you have things that you're, you're still battling against, things that you regret, regrets in your life that you, you still can't get over. And here's the deal. Everyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Don't live in regret. Don't live as uh, thinking that your failures define your future. No. In Christ, you are new. And that's what Joshua tells them. God does not look at you the way that you look at you. Internalize that. And so here's, here's the flow of the argue, argument. Because God has been faithful in the past, in the impossible, in my unfaithfulness. And number four, he's going to talk about God has been faithful, number four, in the battle. In the battle. He goes on in verse 11. He says, And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites and the Perizzites and the um, Canaanites and the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. And two kings, the two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. And I gave you a land you had not labored, and the cities you had not built, and you dwelt in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards, of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. See, what the Lord was doing here was reminding them of his faithfulness. God has been faithful in the battle. Uh, if, if you're looking back at verse 12 and, and looking at it kind of with a confused look, God sent, it says he sent the hornet before you. I had to cover that. You know what that means? I, I, I'm going to take this literally to mean that God sent hornets before the Israelites into these cities to go and just cause everyone to scatter and to leave. Think about that. That's insane. I mean, if there were hornets coming in to attack, wouldn't you go running away? Yeah. Um, that is the work of God. He sent the hornet before. That's one of his ways that he was faithful in the battle. He was faithful in the battle. It was the Lord who gave their enemies and the land into their hand. It was not their sword. It was not their bow. It was not their strength. It was not their military might. It was the Lord. And it says there in that, that last verse that the Lord gave them land that they did not work for. Cities that they did not build. Think about it. Vineyards that they did not plant. God gave them all of this without them doing a thing. And doesn't that remind you of the gospel? Yeah, it does. Because you and I have received the same thing, haven't we? See, we have received, through the work of Jesus Christ, land that we did not work for and a city that we did not build, and that is heaven, all because of the work of Christ, Jesus Christ coming and doing battle for us, taking upon himself the holy wrath and justice of God by dying on the cross for our sins, and then giving us his righteousness that one day he promised he will return and receive those who have trusted in him. That is our Savior. 
we have received this from him. And it's not because of anything that we have done. A couple of scriptures for you. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And Romans, sorry, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace have you been saved through faith. And this is a work. This is, this is not your, of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Here's the deal. God has been faithful in the past, in the impossible, in our unfaithfulness, and in the battle. And what it, what it does in the flow of the argument for Joshua is it leads then for us to respond. He's going to use the word therefore in just a few moments in these next verses ahead. And what it, what it leads us to do is, is to make a choice. We have a decision to make, a response to what God has done for us. And that's what I want to share as, as, we, as we end this text here together. They had a choice to make. What was that choice? Verse 14. Keep on reading with me. He says this. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. So Joshua says, if after witnessing all that the Lord has done, that, that, that our God has been faithful in the past, in the impossible, in our unfaithfulness, and in the battle, if after all of this you believe that it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then you have a decision to make. Do yourself a favor and do God a favor and make a decision on how you're going to live. He says this, choose this day whom you will serve. As for Joshua, his life had demonstrated he had already made that choice. Way back, he, he chose to submit to the leadership of Moses and serve faithfully under, under him. He chose, chose to, to act and live by faith when they entered into the promised land. He chose faith instead of fear when coming, to, when coming to the Jordan River. He chose to trust God for the impossible. He chose confidence in the Lord. That is what Joshua did. He had made a choice. And that's where his famous last words come from. They were a call for the generation current and the generation upcoming to do the same. To make that choice. To choose this day whom you will serve. And so here's, here's, here's the, the, the flow of the argument. I'm going to just read it out fully for you, and you can fill in the notes. Because God has been faithful in the past, in the impossible, in my unfaithfulness, and in the battle, then I will choose to serve the Lord. I will choose to serve the Lord. That was what he was calling this nation to do. And that, I believe, is what Jesus has also called us to do, to follow him. Discipleship can, can be narrowed down to one word, and that's the word obedience, isn't it? Obedience. Choose this day whom you will serve. Can I just tell you, we will all serve someone or something 
We all do, whether or not you realize it or not, you do. Left to our own, own, own vices, we all serve idols of money, career, achievement, possessions. Many of us, we follow celebrities. We're influenced by them. That's why they're called influencers. We even follow leaders. And Jesus, he said this, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. He said in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life would lose it, but whoever would lose his life for my sake would save it. And so the call from Joshua and the call from Jesus is the same. Choose today whom you will serve. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. And if you've made that choice, what, what I want to just challenge you to do is live like it. Align your life behind it. Change your life so that it reflects what you believe. If you believe that the Lord is God and that, 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 it, that he has done what has been faithful in the past and the impossible in your own faithfulness and in the battle, if, if you believe all that, then choose to serve him. Choose to align your life behind him. Joshua goes on to say this, and these are what I would call his most famous last words. But as for me, as for me, this is verse 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. These are Joshua's famous last words, and they're so famous today that uh, I, I would guarantee you most of us here probably have had at one point or another these words above our door, on a doormat, on a wall, on a plaque, on something on, on, on our windowsill. I even was in, in one of our elders' homes just last, last night and uh, noticed it right on their counter. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But is it just a cute scene or does it mean something? Does it mean something for you? Here's the deal. For Joshua, he understood that he had the job of representing the nation of Israel as a leader and also his own household before the Lord. He, he knew that he was going to be held accountable for his leadership and how he spiritually led his family and the direction that he led them in, those under his leadership. And so no matter what else anybody chose, no matter where society went, no matter what, what the pressures were, no matter the dysfunction, he had made a choice. He had said, I'm going to serve my God. I'm going to obey him. He and his house were going to serve the Lord. As long as he was also the leader of Israel, he was saying this, we are going to follow God. We are going to obey the Lord. And so I, 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 I guarantee you for us, our response needs to be very similar. Except we do it through the lens of Christ, don't we? Can I ask you, if, you, if, you've, re, if you've responded to Jesus with salvation, are you able to say these same words? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're young. 
if you're old, if you're single, if, uh, if you're widowed, if, uh, if you've been recently divorced, if you're a single mom or a dad, no matter what area of life you're in right now, if you're a follower of Jesus today, he has called you to make a decision, make a choice to follow him. Have you, like Joshua, made that choice? That's my question as we end. Let me just, uh, I just want us to, to see what this looks like. So I'm going to just call out, we're going to do a little interactive time as we end. I want to just call out a few different, different uh, people right now. First of all, as our front row leaves, that's okay. <laughs> They're like, I'm getting out of here. That's all right. I want to just ask you men, men in, 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 in this house to stand up. If you're a man here, why don't you stand up for me? As you, as you look around at each other. Um, also, those of you that, uh, if, if you haven't stood up, if you're a grandfather um, or, uh, or, or lead, lead your family in some way, uh, men, God has called you to be the spiritual leader in your home, hasn't he? Many of you, you have wives. Some of you now have uh, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and what God has called you to do is to serve him, to live a life of obedience to him, hasn't he? And so, if you can say this with honesty, I want you to just repeat it after me. Maybe look at your wife, or, or look at your grandkids, or look at your loved ones that may be sitting in the pew next to you, and just say this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Will you say it with me? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thank you, guys. I want your wives to just stand up with you. If your wife is with you, I know, know a lot of times in church... We're split up because we're serving in different areas of ministry. But man, if your wife is with you, um, stand up with her. Do you realize, and I have my wife here with me too, do you realize that your marriage is a picture? One that has, has been called to demonstrate the unconditional and sacrificial love of Jesus? See, he, he, he loved us while we were still sinners. And, and, and your spouse is not perfect. Oh, did I just tell you something new? <laughs> your spouse isn't perfect. You make a decision every day to love your spouse unconditionally and sacrificially. And you have a job to, to, to lead your family to know and love Jesus. And so as, as husband and wife, can you, if, if you can do it together, can you just look at each other and say this? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Do it. Go ahead. Say it to each other. As for me... In my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, keep standing if you have kids. If you have kids right now or grandkids. That's a lot of us. Wow. Wow. Okay. Parents, this is an emotional subject because you guys have been called to raise children in the teaching and obedience of their Savior, Jesus Christ. He's called you to model that with your life. He's called you to obey not just in private, but as you lead your family. More, more is caught than is taught, isn't it? And you know that. You know how hard it is. Can I encourage you, when you get home today, a lot of you have uh, children in diapers, um, children that are teething. Um, maybe you have children on the way. You've got lots of sleepless nights. You've had lots of tears. Sometimes that's your children crying, Right? Can I just tell you, whatever stage you're at, you may have teenagers, and that's a whole other level of dysfunction, right? When you get home, maybe tonight or sometime this week, 
go into their room when they're sleeping and pray a prayer of blessing over your children. They need you. You may have to wait till 3 a.m. after your teenager goes to bed, um, but, uh, but, but wait it out and do it. And pray a prayer of blessing over them. And just pray a prayer saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And make that decision as parents together that you are going to make that decision. We are going to align our lives, align, align what we do for God's ways. Okay? Praise God. Have a seat. Have a seat. We're not done. Okay? Almost done. Because we're leaving some people out. If you are here and you're a college student, teenager, um, single, why don't you stand up? If you're, if you're single, if you're older and you're single, maybe you're widowed, uh, maybe uh, you're at, at that stage in life where you're living alone, um, life is different than what it had been maybe before, um, I want to just talk to you. Because here's the deal. Some of you guys are wishing the season of life to be over, but can I tell you that God has a good plan and a good purpose for you right now? Something that he wants to do in you and through you for his good purpose. He does. So don't wish this season away. Don't wish to be in the next season. God wants you right now. He wants your faithfulness. He wants your obedience right now. And so say this with me if you can. If you want to just say this out loud. As for me, in my house we will serve the Lord. Say that with me. As for me, in my house we will serve the Lord. Okay, you can have a seat. Some of you may have to keep on standing because I want to call out everybody over 65. Everybody over 65, have a seat. <laughs> I mean, have a, stand up. Stand up if you can. Stand up. I love it. And I love you guys because you have been just such a core and a faithful part of this church. You guys may be uh, experiencing the golden years and you wonder why they're golden. Why they call them golden because they're full of aches and pains and and uh, man, medications and doctor's appointments, and maybe that's not you, so good. But man, some of you are wishing, man, this is, this is not what, what, uh, what this life is all about. I wish I was younger. Can I encourage you? God has you where you are right now for his purpose. God is not done with you. God wants you. I was so blessed to see some of those pictures of VBS and some of you as faithful members of our church uh, just plugging in, getting involved, and saying, God is not done with me yet. I'm going to serve, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to get behind what this church is doing. Praise God for you. So if that's you, and you can say it with honesty, just repeat after me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the strongest group ever. All right. <laughs> okay, rest of the church, stand up with me. Stand up. Everybody stand up. Now, I'm talking to you because you're part of this church, and as you know, we've been going through some really difficult times here, and you're here. You said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay committed in the house of God, even through, even through the thick and thin. Even though I don't know what, what the next few weeks have in store or the next few months, I'm going to stick it out. Thank you for sticking it out. Thank you for being faithful to God's house, for serving the Lord faithfully. Can I encourage you as a church, since the founding of East Bay Calvary, this church has been a place where people far from Jesus can come to know him. This church is, is for Traverse City. It's for, for the surrounding area. And you guys have been faithful to the word of God for many, many years. And we're not done yet. Amen. Right? We're not done yet. You're here. And you've been faithful. 
And that's what God wants for his church. Jesus is the cornerstone. It's not built on a staff. It's not built on men. It's not even built on, on you and me. It's built on Jesus Christ. But it is served by each one of us as we are gifted. And, and uh, as the body is uh, using its gifts, we're built up, right? And so can I just encourage you? You're at a critical moment in your history where you have to make a choice. Will I stick with it? Or will I go off to somewhere that maybe is, you know, not as much challenge? Will you stick with it? Will you stick in this house? Will you say, as for me in East Bay Calvary, we will serve the Lord, right? Can you make that choice right now? Let's just say it. You just repeat it after me. As for me in East Bay Calvary, we will serve the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. You can have a seat. These are serious challenges that uh, they are going to take the rest of your life to figure out. It's a daily, daily choice. And so as we close today, let me, just, let me just end this chapter, okay? We're almost done. Three more verses. Verse 29. It says in verse 29 that after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. Wow, he was old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at, at Timnus Syrah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. So as we read the end of this, this text right here, we see Joshua died. And he has given them these last words. And what he said actually reminds me of, remember that sign all, all, all the way at the beginning of my message from Seneca Rocks? Stop. What he just said reminds me of that sign. Stop. You alone are responsible for your safety. And after Joshua left this earth, I believe that he wanted to make sure that they changed the sign for him. I believe that, that they wanted to. And what I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about that kind of sign. I'm talking about his tombstone. What do you think Joshua's tombstone said, if he had one? Probably those famous words. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. These were words of safety for him. They were words of hope. We don't say them unless we believe them, right? Words of hope. Words spoken from a man who knew God and had experienced his faithfulness. And so I, I just ask you as we, as we end, what will your sign read at the end of this life? Will you choose this day whom you will serve? Have you made that choice? Have you witnessed God's faithfulness in the past, in the impossible, in on your unfaithfulness, And in the battle, and there's going to be battles ahead. Have you made that choice? Then to respond by choosing to serve the Lord. Let's stand and pray together. Close our eyes, bow our heads. God, thank you that you, Lord, are a faithful God. We see evidence that you have been faithful in all these ways. And it leads us to respond by saying, Lord Jesus, we believe and we trust in you. Lord, we know that there is going to be more to come, more impossible, more unfaithfulness on our end, 
more battles to come, Lord, personally. God, and we just pray, God, that we would have the courage and faith to say boldly, I have chosen to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thank you, God, that you are faithful to your promises, that we see a witness of that in this book of Joshua, and that we know that you are the same God. You are the same God who's done all that and will be faithful to return. As you keep on praying with me today, if you want to receive Jesus Christ, I know that there's some of you who may not, may not know and follow Jesus right now, and so I want to just give you that opportunity as we keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Can I just give you that challenge? It says in Scripture, if you confess your sins, that he is faithful and he is just to forgive your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. When you confess your sins, when, when you come to him in repentance and faith, he will take your judgment, he will take your guilt, he will cover you with his righteousness, and he will make you new. Your failures don't have to define your future. You don't have to be defined by what you did. If you are one who is here this morning just to say, I need Jesus, would you just raise up your hand so I can pray with you and pray for you? Anyone here? I want to receive Jesus today. I want to just lead you in a prayer. Yeah. Praise God. If that's you right now in your heart, and all of us as a church together, we affirm our faith. We affirm what Jesus has done, just saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I cannot save myself. I confess of and I repent of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross in my place and you rose again. I believe that you alone are the way and the truth and the life. Would you save me? I give you all of me today and declare from this moment on that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You may have a seat. I'm going to invite PR to come on up and, and close out our, uh, our service today. And thank you for having, having us with, with you. We'd be glad to talk to you at the end.